This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. Sunday, July the 5th will be a unique day in the long history of Inglis when two major sales come together as traditional physical auctions at the world-class Riverside Complex at Warwick Farm. At 10am sharp, Easter Round 2 will get underway with 94 outstanding lots by world-class stallions like Brazen Bow, Deepfield, Dundeal, Exceed and Excel, Not a Single Doubt, Fastnet Rock, Frankel, I Am Invincible, Lonro, Schnitzel, Piero, and So You Think, with first season sires like American Pharaoh and Capitalist represented. Inglis have decided to bring the famous scone sale to Riverside this year with a catalogue of 156 lots. This auction will begin immediately after Easter Round 2 concludes. All horses will be at Riverside from Thursday, July 2nd for your inspection. Who would have thought the famous Easter sale would have a winter session? Who would have dreamed the popular scone sale would come to town? Inglis have taken extraordinary steps to accommodate vendors and buyers in extraordinary times. It's really happening. Easter Round 2 and the scone sale together under the same roof on Sunday, July 5th. David Payne, in his customary style, slipped quietly into Sydney in 2002, hoping he could establish himself as a horse trainer in a very competitive market. Despite an impressive South African CV, it took him six months to obtain stabling accommodation at Randwick, and until that happened, he couldn't even begin the daunting task of sourcing new owners. David had been a household name in the South African racing industry as a jockey and a trainer. In an eight-year riding career, he won 400 races, including the famous Group 1 Durban July handicap. He was heartbroken when increasing weight forced him out of the saddle at age 22, but was lucky to get his training career underway immediately thanks to the generosity of a benevolent owner. David has no idea how many winners he trained over the next 30 years, but he was South Africa's champion trainer twice and on 23 occasions champion trainer in his home province of Natal, now known as KwaZulu-Natal. He also happened to train 100 Group 1 winners. Ongoing political instability in South Africa and a natural desire to try his hand in a new environment, prompted his move to Sydney. Eighteen years on, with many Australian winners under his belt, including six Group 1s, David Payne ranks among Sydney's most respected horsemen. He moved from Randwick to Rose Hill in 2008 when hundreds of horses were relocated to make way for the Papal Mass during World Youth Day celebrations and he decided to stay there. A big welcome to David Payne on the podcast. Lovely to talk, David. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, John. Well, most of those Randwick horses went to Warwick Farm, but you made alternative arrangements. Why did you do that? I came up here, you know, uh, Warwick Farm from where I live was quite a trek. Mm. So I I took a drive out to Roseville and they were building new stables Mm. and I looked at them and I thought, uh, I'd rather be here. Yeah, of course. 
you know, they sent me out and I've been here ever since. You live within a stone's throw of Taronga Park. That's right. I'm in Mosman. It's, uh, it's a good drive out, but, uh, you know, I put the radio on and before you know it, you're You keep 20 horses in work these days, David, by design, obviously. Yes. Uh, I've got 25 boxes, but uh, I wouldn't go more than 20, 25 now. I'd like to be hands-on mm. and, uh, you know, to try and get more quality in, in, into the yard. It must have been a daunting challenge to leave your native land and start afresh in a new country with no owner base. Is it true when you lobbed in Sydney, you didn't have a horse on your books? Uh, yes, uh, John, that's right. I had one horse actually, but it was in Singapore with uh, Laurie Laxton. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was promised to me once I opened up my yard, yeah. She was a filly I trained in Natal. Mm. That I'd run ten times for nine wins, including about five Group Ones. Mm. A filly called Huberg. Yep. And uh, once, you know, Mr. Jaffe was a loyal client of mine for many years. Said to me, "Once you open up in Australia, you can have this filly to help you on your on your way." And she did turn up eventually. Yes, eventually she turned up, and uh, she only had a couple of runs yeah, because she developed back trouble mm. in in Singapore. So you know, we we battle to keep her sound, and she took on Lonro one day yeah. uh, in a 1400 at Granwick, and coming to straight, I think we skipped three lengths clear, and I thought, gee, whiskey, we're going to beat him. Mm. But uh, a quality horse he was, he, he rounded us up quite quickly and beat us comfortably. Mm. But she still ran second, and that's something yeah. to dine out on. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> David, I can recall interviewing you on Sky's Inside Racing program a few months after you got going here, and you told me that the adjustment hadn't been easy and that your wife, Merle, was very, very homesick and struggling to settle in. Now, can I ask you, 18 years on, what does Merle think of Sydney now? Uh, Look, uh, John, when we first arrived, it was quite a shock for her. You know, no friends uh, and, you know, a, a complete different culture. Mm. And uh, she she said to me, look, I can't live here. And I said, but I'm trying to open up a business. Mm. You know, she said, no. so I said, anyway, you go back to South Africa for a, for a week or, or, you know, three weeks and see, mm. you know. Anyway, she went back and after three weeks she came back to Australia and she said, we've done the right thing. Did she? So, yeah, she said, no, we've done the right thing. Mm. Now we, she settled in. She loves Sydney. She, When we go back on holidays to South Africa, she can't wait to get back to Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> Sydney's been having that effect on people for 200 years. Yeah, no, look, uh, I must say, even even me, I wish I'd had the foresight earlier in my career, mm. you know, to come when I was a young man. Well, you've got a son, Gary, and a daughter, Tracy, both here with you in Sydney. And you tell me you've got two Australian-born grandsons. What a joy. Yeah. No, look, uh, my daughter got married, yeah, mm. although not to an Aussie, uh, an Englishman who's, uh, you know, emigrated out here, yeah, and uh, we've got two lovely little grandsons. Mm. How good is that? No, you, look, you can't ask for a better. It's been, it's been wonderful to me, Sydney, I must say. Re-establishing your training career here was very tough going 
and you tell me you kicked off with some very average horses. Yeah, well, you know, when we arrived, to, to, to be honest, I was trying to apply from South Africa, and it, they, I think my letters were going in the bin. Mm. Anyway, my uh, good friend Wayne Aldridge, who's got English insurance, he said to me, the only way you're going to get into Australia and get into the racing, you've got to come out. Mm. So I gave up everything, left a foreman in charge and, and came out, stayed with him, mm. and I used to go to uh, to Ranwick every second week and speak to Mr. King, yep. Tony King, and ask him, you know, any chance of boxes and we were put off every time. Mm. But thanks to Wayne, he knew Treve Williams, who was the chairman of uh, Ranwick at that time. The AJC, said, yeah. Yeah, the AJC. And he said mm. to me, look, I'm going to speak to Treve and maybe you can meet him. So I met Treve and he invited a few uh, members, uh, committee members out and we had lunch. Mm. And uh, after six months, uh, they they gave me 25 boxes. Mm. That was a breath of fresh air, wasn't it? Yeah, well, <laughs> but it was fu funny, John, because when I opened up the yard, I had one horse and one strapper. Mm. <laughs> so it, it took a while, you know, to yeah, get so clients. And, yeah. It, it, by today's rules and today's standards, David, you wouldn't be given the stables unless you had a certain number of horses. So, oh, no, for sure, did Definitely. It mm. was just uh, at that time, you know, uh, they gave me an opportunity and, uh, you know, we took it with both hands and uh, it took a while to get going, but it worked, thank goodness. Oh, it certainly has. I'd like to turn the clock back many years uh, to your school days in Durban. You'd walk to school past a very famous racecourse, Greyville. You'd see horses going to and from the track, and you were soon smitten by these beautiful thoroughbreds. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd never, to, to be honest, I was uh, turning 15 and I'd never, ever been near a racehorse, just from afar, just, you know, photographs or 200 metres away. And we used to walk to school, my brother and I, and uh, went past this race course and the odd day they'd, they'd have races and, I thought, gee, this, you know, looks quite uh, excitable, you know, mm. exciting. So went back, spoke to my dad, said, look, we'd, actually my, my brother and I, we said we'd, we'd both like to be a jockey. So anyway, my dad took us to the, meet the uh, committee mm. and, and they accepted us both into the academy. Mm. We both went there and after two weeks we, we, went, we had our time to go home for the weekend. We never went back. Goodness you know, we, well, we were being bullied and, you know, it was quite a rough place. Mm. Anyway, so my dad said, all right, well, you've got to look somewhere else in your career. But the uh, chief steward, his name was Jock Sproul, mm -hmm. he phoned my dad and he said, look, uh, I want David to come back to the Jockey Academy. Did he? Yeah, so my dad said, well, I don't really want to send him back. So he said, no, look, I think he's got what it takes and I'd like, uh, if, if you don't mind, send him back. Mm. And thank God for that. Otherwise, I would have been out of the game. I wouldn't have been. Well, Dave, yeah, that's right. You owe the uh, chief yeah. steward of that era a debt of gratitude. I uh, know, definitely. And uh, thanks to him, you know, he must must have seen something in me to to ask me back. So, mm. Mm. thank goodness. 
Now, Dave, is that the same Jockeys Academy that Jeff Lloyd attended? Yes, that, that's right. Marion oh, Hill, it's called. Yeah, Marion Hill, yeah, that, that's where we went, yeah. Mm. Now, did, did Jeff have similar problems? I don't recall uh, his telling me that he uh, he was bullied or wanted to go home at any stage. Yeah, no, it was a different uh, scene. Uh, when I was there, the uh, the people who ran it left it to the uh, senior riders. Uh. And if you got there and you were young, the initiation was quite rough. Mm. And if they they were bullies, you know we 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 were tough, quite tough kids, but we mm. we couldn't stand up to them. Mm. So by the so, time Jeff got there, uh, things yeah, were different. Com- yeah, completely different ball game because that bloke who got me back, mm. he uh, got the right people in control and stopped stopped all that. You mm. know, he said people are yet to be jockeys, not to be uh, bullied. Yeah. Yep. Well, <clears throat> your master eventually was a man called Herman Brown Senior. What are your That's memories of Herman as a trainer and a boss? A lovely man, a, a, a great boss. Uh, he had a small string in, in, in those days. He took me in and then he travelled to to Australia, mm. to well, well, actually to New Zealand to purchase horses. They just started buying horses from New Zealand mm. and on his way back he popped in to Tommy Smith mm. and he walked around and Tommy, you know, gave, gave him advice. And when he came back to South Africa, he said to me, my boy, you got to get big in this game if you want to be a success. Mm. So from 25 horses, he ended up with 100 horses. Goodness me. Yeah, and then within a couple of years, he was leading trainer. He, he and, simply didn't have enough in work to make yeah, an impact. Yeah, you got to have numbers. He said to me, you got to be big. Mm. And, uh, no, look, he was a wonderful boss because he taught me a lot. Mm. Hard boss. Uh, I used to say to him, Mr. Brown, uh, all the apprentices are going to movies today. Could I have the afternoon off? Mm. And he said say to me, my boy, when you come out of your time, you can have every afternoon off. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> they were his so, words. Those were his words. Sunday I worked and he made me feed the horses and, Thank goodness, because that's how I learned to be a trainer. Yeah. He was a very, uh, very astute trainer. He he used to judge horses, you know. He he used to always say, "Don't gallop them too much. You don't want to leave the gallop behind. You don't want to leave it. You know, you want to keep it for race day." Mm. My boy rather underdo them than overdo them, mm. and you know that stuck with me for years. He was ahead of his time to a degree, wasn't he? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm. Well, your first win. As a jockey, he was really only half a win. You dead yes. heated on a horse called Play Play. Now, That's were you disappointed or was it as good as a win? Oh, no, it was as good as a win because, you know, every, uh, you know, it took me 20 rides to have a winner. So it was just so nice to get, to get into the winner's box. Mm. You etched your name into South African racing history in 1969 when you won the iconic. Durban July handicap on a horse called Chimbora. I think the trainer's name was Cherry. Yep, Brown, Brown Cherry, John. Mm, David, uh, that race means the world, doesn't it, to owners, trainers and jockeys in South Africa? Yeah, it definitely does. I, I, I must say, I don't think Jeff's won it, and that was his dream, to win the July. Mm. He's won everything else, Jeff Lloyd, but uh, I don't think he's ever won a July. Mm. And uh, 
it's a funny story with that, Ross, because I was uh, riding for Mr. Brown, mm-hmm. and he said to me, time get the ride on Chimbora. I think that's the horse that could win the July. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I went to Mr. Cherry, said, could I ride your horse? And he said, yes, yeah, sure, you can ride my horse. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I rode it two weeks before the July, and it ran last. Mm-hmm. Then I was offered another ride, and it looked a, a much better ride in, in, in the race. So I went to Mr. Cherry and said, look, I'd like to, to get off Chimbora. Mm. And he said, no, you can't. So I went to the stewards and <laughs> said, look, I don't want to ride this horse. Anyway, they had an inquiry and they said, no, sorry, you got to ride it. You took the ride. Yeah. You've got to, uh, you know, you've committed yourself and that's it. Anyway, thank God because he ended up winning the July. The horse, <laughs> yeah. the, the horse that I wanted to ride ran down the field. Yeah. So anyway, that, that was just meant for me. So. You, you've turned a few negatives into positives in your time, haven't you? <laughs> That's right, and and my sling, I never forget. My sling was a couple of suits, from, two suits. From, yeah, two suits from the owner. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, look, I, I'd won the, the race at every. It was every jockey's dream. So, so winning the Melbourne Cup. Yeah. Yeah. Were those suits tailor made or off the rack? Yeah. No. no off. Off. Off the rack. <laughs> <laughs> and you wore them. You haven't still got them, have you? No, 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 I've worn them a few times. Now, Dave, you also won the July Handicap as a trainer, but we'll talk about that later. Now, getting back to your riding days, you rode a very good horse called Double Eagle for trainer Les Hammond. You rated him very highly. Yeah, great, a great sprinter, John. He's a type of horse, you know, if you're a jockey and you sit on a horse, and you think, gee, I'm not going that fast. And you look around and everything's off a bit. Uh, That's what a big action he had. He had such a big stride. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he just covered so much ground when he galloped. It, it was like he wasn't moving. But no, very, very great, uh, great sprinter. Just pause for a moment to clear a commitment on the podcast. Back with you, David, after this. You only need to talk to country-based owners and trainers to realise that the Tab Highway concept has been a runaway winner for racing New South Wales. The scheme met with some opposition when introduced in 2015, but it wasn't long before the Tab Highways captured the imagination of regional horsemen. Early days, trainers like Matt Dunn, Matt Dale, Danny Williams and Terry Robinson dominated the weekly highways, but now there seems to be a different winning trainer every week. For bush owners, the prize money has been a revelation, while punters love the highways as a betting medium. From a media viewpoint, the highways seem to throw up a good story most weeks. The Tab Highways are a key component of the new face of New South Wales racing. Special guest is David Payne. Well, you were champion apprentice twice, you were champion jockey twice. You're in the record books forever. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was it. Was very good to me in my riding career, I must say. You were pretty gutted when your weight got out of control, and you had to pull the pin on your riding career. You were pretty upset. You didn't want to stop. That that's correct. Uh, you know, I came to uh, you know when I was wasting every week, and I thought, gee, this is not good for your health. So I thought, no, I must give up the, you know, and, and try and get horses. So I approached quite a few owners and, you know, I was a top jockey at that stage and I was promised horses. 
so I gave it up and I went to them and I said, yeah, I'm ready to start training and they all reneged. Mm. So I had to go back riding. Rode a, uh, uh, after a couple of weeks, I rode a winner for this man, Mr. Ferguson. Norman Ferguson. Norman. That's right. Norman, an elderly gentleman. Mm. And he said, he called me and he said, look, I'd like to talk to you. Uh, you know, once I'd won the race, he said, I'd like to see you during the week if you can come and see me. So I went to see him and he said, look, I, I believe you want to be a trainer. Uh, I've got I'll, I've got 12 horses mm. and you can train them for me, but on one condition, mm. you go work for somebody for six months. Another trainer? Yes. So I said, no, Mr. Ferguson, I don't want to go and work for anybody. I'd sooner go back and ride. Mm. Anyway, I walked out the office and his sons called, called me uh, couple of days later and said, look, we've spoken to the old man mm. and he said, no, you can take over the horses. Mm. Uh, where I was lucky, well, not lucky, it was unfortunate, uh, sad for the previous trainer. He was actually terminally ill with cancer mm. and uh, they were making pretty you know, pr provision once he went so I could take the horses over. Mm. You've had a few things go right. <laughs> yeah, Norman no, Ferguson was another godsend. Yeah. They, definitely. That's why, through life, I'm a real fatalist. You know, mm. I've, I've just believed what will be. You know, yeah. things come along, mm. and touch wood, it's, I've been very fortunate. Your first win as a jockey was a dead heat, but yes. your first training win was clear cut. A horse called Early Bird. Yeah, my first runner in a race as a trainer. Mm. She was a little filly. She was about fourteen, three, tiny little filly, and. Uh, mm. She, she she saluted, and uh, I ended up calling my stables early bid in South Africa. Did you? After her. Yeah. 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 Now, David, I'm going to ask you to elaborate on the makeup and the talents of a horse called In Full Flight, a group winner many times over, and you say to this day he is the best horse you've ever put a bridle on. Uh, correct, John. You know, when I took over these horses for Mr. Ferguson, he was a, a, a two-year-old and untried. Mm. And uh, I used to ride my own work. So I got on him, you know, once he was fit, mm. got him galloping. And when I let him run along one day, I, gee, I couldn't believe it. I said, gee, mm. this is special. You know, this horse is something special because I've written good horses. Mm. And I phoned Mr. Ferguson up. I said, Mr. Ferguson, I think you've got a very special horse here. Goodness He's me. one of the best, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the best I've put my legs over. Mm. So he said, my boy, you know how many times trainers have told me that? Mm. So I said, anyway, look, I'm going to gallop him at, I'm going to take him to the race course, Grayville, and I'll gallop him there, you come down and you can time him. Mm. You know, you can see for yourself. Anyway, we took him to gallop, and on the same day, there was the champion sprinter who was trained by Mr. Cherry, Brown Cherry, mm. horse called Trocadero galloping. Mm. Anyway, he galloped before us. Uh, they went 800 metres. And I think he ran 47.3. Mm. And in full flight, with, I was heavy at that stage, I rode him in the gallop, mm. and he ran 45 and a half oh, for, the, yeah. for the 800 metres. And when I got back into the uh, parade ring, taking the saddle off Mr. Mr. Ferguson came up to me, he said, gee, Whiskers, he said, you just keep quiet about this, son, because I want to have a good bet on this horse. 
There'd so be that's no, a, no way you could keep quiet about it. The whole world would have known by then. Uh, no, well, it, actually we were very fortunate because my old boss, Mr. Brown, had a two-year-old, when we nominated him, he had a two-year-old called Full Stretch. And he'd run third in the nursery a couple of weeks before. So we were, we put our horse in the race and we actually drew a bad barrier, I think 14 or 15, mm. at, you know, on a turning track, Gravel. And when I was uh, full stretch, drew well, he started odds on in, in the red and then the black Amina and then a five to four on he was. Mm. And that's what he opened and we were about seven to one. Goodness me. And mm. and I was sitting on the stand. My, I was so nervous because I knew Mr. Ferguson was going to have a big bet on the sauce. And my old boss, Herman Brown, came up to me and said, my boy, see you backing your horse. So I said, yeah, Mr. Brown, he's, he's a very good horse. He said, this is not riding, son. You know, you're taking on Mark Colt. He's just run third in the nursery. He's had a run. It's mm. going to be tough for you. Mm. Anyway, I, I beat him uh, half a length, I think, on the day. Mm. And he came up to me and said, gee, oh, that must be a very good coach you got there because mm. he thought highly of his horse. Yeah. And that's how, that's how it all started, yeah. Well, he finished up, this is in full flight, winning 16 of his first 19 starts. And that's right. you yep. tell me, David, it didn't matter whether the race was 1,000 or 2,000 metres. He just didn't care. He was effective at any trip. Yeah. Uh, John, an absolute freak. And look, to be honest, I was learning my craft. So he was underdone a few times. Uh, look, I think if I had him today, he would be unbeaten, mm-hmm. you know, but I made a few mistakes. And only towards the end, I got the hang of it, you know, to have him really fit on the day. Mm-hmm. But despite me uh, not doing enough with him, sometimes he'd win, you know, he, yeah. he, was, he was just a freak. Absolute freak. South it, Africa has long mm. been regarded as a nursery for champion jockeys. Michael yes. Roberts, Basil Marcus, uh, Cootsie, Douglas White, Del Pesh, Lloyd, Schofield, and several others. That's correct. And, and yep. I'm very interested in this. You tell me there's another one who hasn't had the same sort of publicity uh, as the former. But you regard this man as the best jockey you've seen anywhere in the world. A few ears will prick up now. What was his name? Uh, his name was Harold, and they used to call him Tiger Wright. Tiger Wright. He was, uh, uh, when I started riding, I used to watch him, and gee, I've never seen a, a bloke. He was like poetry in motion on a horse. Mm. looked like he was born on that animal. I think he's the greatest jockey I've seen. Mm. Right, in in every department, he ticked every box. every box. He's just a lovely, he had hands like silk. If you watched him sit on a horse, he just looked like he was part of it. Mm. He had the most beautiful seat. I I think uh, a lot of the old-timers would say he'd he'd be one of the the greatest riders they've seen. There was a rider before him called Cocky Feldman, Unfortunately, I didn't see him. He died, but they say he was better than Tiger Wright. So, oh, unfortunately, I didn't see him. Yep. You went within a nose of making a dream start to your training career in Sydney. A New Zealand breeder called Nelson Schick sent you a filly called Sierra Dane for a short preparation. 
First up, she got beaten an eyelash by Fiamma Rosa in a maiden at Randwick, and then two starts later, she won a three-year-old fillies race at Randwick by a big space, and that was your first Australian win. Yeah, that's right. It, she she would have been, she was my first runner, and we actually prepared her to you know to try and make an impact, mm. but unfortunately we had old Chris Munson on our outside, and he wouldn't let us out. So mm. we were he had us tight on the rail box and until oh, about twenty meters to go, and we just failed to get up. So Muncie cost me my first win. He was a very competitive little jockey, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, and he's still a mate of mine, to be honest. Oh, great, great bloke. <laughs> yes, he is. Well, David, it was James Bester of the Coolmore operation who very kindly recommended you to a man called John Camilleri, a well-known owner and breeder who had part-owned a good horse called Fairway, a multiple Group 1 winner a few years earlier, now, of course, he's best known as the breeder and seller of the Great Winks. Now, John yeah. Camilleri gave you a filly to train who was destined to become your first Aussie Group 1 winner. Okay, that's correct. I was fortunate when, you know, James could see I was struggling to, to get going. We just had moderate horses. And he said to me, look, I know this bloke, John Camilleri. I bought him this filly mm-hmm. from New Zealand and uh, – he's going to send it off to Melbourne and I'll have a chat to him and see if he'll give it to you. And he did have a chat to John and John said to him, look, uh, tell him to come and have a coffee with me. Mm. And I went and had a coffee with John and he, you know, he wanted to know my history, etc. And uh, then he gave me the nod. He let me train unearthly. So mm. I've been very grateful to him from ever, you know, forever that, that and, day that I met him, yeah. And she won the flight stakes, and later uh, you won a Group 2 with her too, the Chelmsford. Corey that, Brown was riding her, David, at the time. That's that's right, Corey rode her. And, you know, the Chelmsford, uh, her, that was a first up in 16, into a 1600. She'd been uh, spelling, and I remember John saying to me, oh, David, you, I don't know if you're doing the right thing, mm. 1600 first up. Anyway, she she arrived. Uh, she she won a very good race, and uh, you know I, I I don't think we saw the best of her as well because she she she, she did have a knee problem. Mm. So no, a, a very smart filly. In two thousand and three, you got a horse to train by the name of Dante's Paradiso. You got him as a three year old. You quickly won four straight with him. And then in the following preparation, he ran second in a Villiers and he won a listed race, the Tattersall's Club Cup. Now, he had many problems, you tell me, but an enormous amount of ability. In fact, yeah. you had no doubt he was a group horse had he remained sound. Uh, you know, John, I don't think we we, would have, we ever saw the best of him. You know, he won as a three-year-old at 2,000 metre with Corey Brown on by about five lengths. He got off, he said, superstar. That's the first word he said to me. Did he? Did he? And I've had some good horses here. I mean, horse like Ace High, Criterion, I think he was a better horse too. To, Do you, really? To be honest, yep. Well, he he went in the tendon, you know, and we brought him back and he went again in the tendon, I think twice in the tendon and then he sprained a joint and he was still competitive. Mm. He, I don't think we even emptied him out. You know, he was a great horse. Mm, well, that's... 
worth noting, uh, David Payne, you've rated this horse, Dante's Paradiso, as superior to a horse like Criterion and Ace High. Yep, I do. Yep, definitely. We'll just pause at this stage, David. In fact, we'll bring the curtain down on part one of our podcast interview and uh, we'll have segment two with David Payne coming up very shortly. Just a click away. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress.